Today with Catherine Ruinala. Thank you, Jesus. I want to share with you tonight um, from the Song of Songs. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there with me. A lot of people look at the Song of Songs and they think, well, it's just a bit weird. It's about marriage. It's like sort of like teaching husbands how to give their wives compliments, maybe. <laughs> it's like, or, or, or it's a bit, oh, it's a bit much. But, you know, the Song of Songs, rabbis refer to the Song of Songs as the holiest book of all, as it's a beautiful picture of Christ and his bride. It speaks on many levels. It speaks of human love, but it also speaks of Christ, King Jesus, and the bride of Christ and how he feels about us. And I, I really believe, I just wanted to give you a little overview tonight because I felt the Holy Spirit wooing his people. All through worship, we were hearing the, the songs, and I, I knew it was a confirmation from the Lord that the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to our hearts. He is wanting to set our hearts ablaze. He is so kind. So, Father, we say thank you. Speak to our hearts tonight in the name of Jesus. Now, I love, I love the Song of Songs, and you can read it in many different translations. I'm going to read today from the Passion Translation, uh, starting in verse 5 of chapter 1. But I encourage you, it's not a long book. You could read the whole thing through, and it's, it's just beautiful um, in the Passion. And verse 5, it's the bride speaking, the Shulamite, the bride. She says, Jerusalem maidens, I know I'm so unworthy, so in need. And then the king says, yet you're so lovely. And then the Shulamite says, I feel as dark and dry as the desert tents of the wandering nomads. And the king says, yet you're so lovely. You're like the fine linen curtains of the holy place. This is such an astonishing thought to me. The bride comes and says, I'm dark, I'm dry. And the king says, you're lovely. And she says, oh, I feel dark and dry. And he says, yet you're lovely, like the fine linen curtains in the holy place. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3, that even if our heart condemns us, he is greater than our hearts. That our unrelentingly kind God comes and he speaks to us. When we come to him and we say, I feel like a hypocrite, I just feel like I'm just dry, I feel like I've messed up, I know I've messed up, I'm really sorry, but oh, you know, I'm just not worthy. I feel, I feel, I feel. It's okay to have feelings and it's okay to express those feelings. You just read the Psalms and you'll see that. He talks all the time about his feelings. Feelings, everywhere feelings. But he... he he does it with a purpose. I'm going to talk to you, God. I'm going to tell you how I feel. And then I'm going to hear your voice. And your voice always brings me back to hope. Your voice always leads me to truth. Hallelujah. In his light, we see light. Praise the Lord. As you talk to him, talk to him. He wants to hear your voice. The, the deception of the enemy is that when you are feeling dark and dry, when you're feeling unworthy, when you're feeling distant, the enemy wants you to feel like, I can't talk to him. I have to hide myself. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. When they sinned, their initial reaction was, I just need to hide myself. But you know, the best thing you can do when you're feeling dark and dry and messed up, 
or I feel like I'm just not in a good place, the best thing is to start to talk to him, just to start to be honest. Wow, I feel like this. Father, this is how I'm feeling, but this is what I know has helped me. And the Holy Spirit will remind you of his truth. He'll lead you in the ways of the Father. He'll show you his words. His words are a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. Hallelujah. And, and instead of saying, yes, yes, you are dark, you are, you are dry, yeah, but I still love you anyway, he actually calls those things that be not as though they are. He speaks to her and says, this is the truth about you. You're, you're beautiful. You're clean. You're holy. You're like the fine linen curtains in the holy place. That's the place where there can be nothing defiled, nothing unholy. You are like that. And he says this to a bride in her immaturity, to a bride that, that, that isn't behaving like that, yet this is what he says to her. And you know, that's what the Father says to us. He says that when you come to me, when you give me your sin and your shame and your past, and you receive my eternal life in exchange, he says, I give you robes of righteousness. I give you my righteousness in exchange. When my righteousness is perfect. It's not just a covering. It changes you from the inside out. I give you a new heart. Hallelujah. A clean heart. And as you receive that, the righteousness of God, he says, as I am, so are you in this world. He in heaven, the one whose eyes blaze like fire, whose head is white like wool, this one, this glorious one. He says, as I am, so are you in this world now. The mind boggles. You think, how? How can this be? Well, he's better than we feel like we deserve. Amen. He goes on and... Um, verse 15, I'll just skip through. I just wanted to, felt to give you a little taste tonight. Verse 15, he says, My dearest darling, you are so lovely. You are beauty itself to me. Your passionate eyes are like loyal doves. And I spoke about this. He, he gives us doves' eyes. And in the natural, doves have no peripheral vision. They've got no capacity to be distracted, except they can only see what they focus on. They can only look forward. And he tells her, you are, you're my loyal dove. You have dove's eyes. Hallelujah. Then uh, just skipping through to chapter two, he says, for you are my dove. We also know about doves, that doves, they have only one partner for life. They're just always close. So has anyone ever seen doves walking around in the garden? They're always in pairs, always in pairs. He says, for you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. And we know that the rock, who is the rock? Jesus is the rock. And his side was split open and they pierced him and blood and water flowed. Just like Adam in the garden had his side opened up and the bride was brought forth. The rock, Jesus, had his side split open. He said, it's finished. <laughs> And his spine was split open and out of his wounds, a bride was born. Hallelujah. The beautiful bride of Christ out of the, the last Adam. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ himself makes us brand new. And he says, I hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. 
Other versions would say that he, hid, he hides us in the cleft of the rock. And he does that. He hides us in the cleft of his side. He hides us in his body. We are no longer separate from him. We are actually made part of his body, hidden in the cleft of the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus, you and I are hidden in Christ. My life is hidden with God in Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't it beautiful? Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship. How sweet and enchanting your voice in prayer. For you are ravishing to me. Verse 15. The time has now come. We must, we must catch these troubling foxes. Those little foxes which hinder our relationship. They're the compromises which continue to ruin our budding vineyard of love I've planted within you. Will you catch them and remove them for me? We'll do, them to, we'll do it together. He goes on and, and I'm skipping through. But the love of the, of, the bride, of the bridegroom for the bride is overwhelming. It's beyond your capacity to process emotionally, physically, spiritually. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul prays that we would be strengthened with might on the inside, in our inner being, so that we would have power to be able to comprehend this love that's beyond our capacity to emotionally process. Hallelujah. When we go, oh yeah, it's a bit much, a bit much. He goes, no, pray for strength. I'll give you strength to be able to handle it because his perfect love will come in, will conquer you, undo you, and will cause all your fears to be driven aside and you'll be filled with a love that is beyond comprehension. It's that love that lit up um, Stephen's eyes when he was being accused in the Sanhedrin and about to be stoned. They said, his face shone like that of an angel. Why? Because he was being filled up to overflowing with all the fullness of God. This love that's beyond the ability to humanly process. The Holy Spirit was giving him strength to be able to receive it to the point that it didn't matter. It didn't matter what was coming against him. And there is a joy that is beyond our human capacity to express or receive, but He wants to give it to you anyway. And He'll give you His supernatural power to be able to take it. It's a love that'll cause you to be filled with the joy of the Lord, filled with supernatural peace, filled with a love that, that is, is just not wanting anything but. Uh, he wants to so fill you that your heart response is to have dove's eyes. Like, <laughs> you're all I want. You're all I've ever needed. There is the Holy Spirit continually wanting to fill us to overflowing. But it requires us to want to. Sometimes I've prayed, Lord, I want to want to. <laughs> and you know what? He comes and he gives you. <laughs> the one to. He'll give you everything you need to go to him to ask and to receive. Hallelujah. And he says to her, after, after this, he says, let's catch those troubling foxes, those little, those little compromises that are spoiling the, the vine of our love. Let's, let's do it together. He doesn't say, hey, sort your life out. He says, hey, we'll do it together. I'm going to give you power to be able to, to just reject those things that are, are stealing from our love. 
They're the little compromises, the little foxes. And you know, the heart of the Father is not to make you feel condemned, but his heart is to so overwhelm you with love that everything else becomes distasteful. You think about the compromises, you know, the, the gossip or the, you know, whatever it is that you're compromising with, pornography or whatever. In the light of his love, it's just all, why would you? Why would I want that when I got this? And this is available, hallelujah, to the point that his perfect love will not only cast out fear, it'll cast out the fear of missing out on anything else. Where you're not going to have to grab for anything else because you're so full to overflowing that everything else just loses its power. Hallelujah. But she responds and she says, In verse 16, I know my beloved is mine, for we delight ourselves in each other. You and not another have captured me. Yes, you are truly mine. But until the dawning breezes blow and the shifting shadows of my fears disappear, you must go ahead without me. Turn around, my beloved, and ascend the holy mountains of separation without me. Until the new day fully dawns, run like the graceful gazelle or skip like the young stag on the mountains. Go ahead to the mountain of fragrant spices. I'll remain here until I'm ready. I'll come away another time. Basically, she says, I love this. This is awesome. But you know what? I don't know that I'm ready just to like surrender everything. But like, I love this. This is great. Keep telling me all the good things. But you know, I don't know about that. Like, just give my whole life. And so the father, the, the bride, respect, the bridegroom respects it. And then the very next chapter, first verse, I'm tossing and turning after night in the darkness on my bed of travail. I'm missing my soul's true love. Why did I let him go from me? How my heart now aches for him, but he's nowhere to be found. And we see a truth, a profound truth, that when we don't surrender to him, When we don't yield to his call to say, come, let me satisfy you. Let me fill you. When we we choose to keep our feet in two camps and live for ourselves and not, the truth is what we thought would make us happy only makes us desperately unhappy. It only leads to, oh, no, I know I'm not happy. I thought, and then after you finish the 15 hours of binging the Netflix thing, and then you come to, I'm still not happy. Just numbed myself for a little while. But what am I doing with my life? The truth is, you were created for a supernaturally glorious life. Hallelujah. And he invites us into so much more. At the end of chapter 2 and, um, and chapter 5, we also read it. We, we recognize, I think, in ourselves what this bride talks about. You know, firstly in chapter 2, she's like, oh, I'm not ready. And then chapter 3, she goes, oh, no, I miss you, I need you. 
And then again in chapter 5, she's, she, the bridegroom's there knocking at the door saying, come away with me. And she says, oh, I really like you. I've just washed my feet. It's really not a great time right now. But hey, love you a lot. And, and, and then she gets up. She goes, oh, all right, gets up. And he's not there. And then she's desperate again. Oh, I've got to find him and races and finds him and praise the Lord. But I, I think it's a picture for us of a truth that a life of compromise is just not worthing, worth sat, uh, sacrificing intimacy with him. That the truth is your heart will only truly be happy when you give up and you surrender and you say, yes, yes, God, yes, I'm coming with you. Some people are afraid. They think that you know, surrendering to the Lord means a life of just nothing but prayer. Like, I'm never going to be normal. I'm not going to have, like, normal. I'm not going to be able to do sport or do anything. I'm going to be just, I'm not, I'm, that's sometimes the picture they have is like some monastic life is, is the only thing that's going to please him. But if you get into that mentality, you'll discover what, Martin Luther discovered that no matter what you do, you can't make yourself feel holy or worthy enough. God's not looking for us to, to self-sacrifice in order to gain His love. He's actually wooing us into a place of surrender where He wants to give us life and life more abundant, a life that's balanced and beautiful and filled with joy and rest and peace and fruitfulness. Hallelujah. But we also mustn't get the idea that this beautiful God who's always kind tolerates or winks at sin. He loves us too much to leave us. I remember one morning waking up and I had a dream. And in my dream, I had dreamt that I had a cut on my leg. And my dad, who's a doctor, was looking at the cut on my leg and he said, oh, it's Singapore polio. And I woke up and went, what was that? You know, was that a pizza dream or what was that? So I asked the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, you're the revealer of mysteries. Was that, are you trying to speak to me? And I got down on the floor and I just said, Lord, if you're trying to speak to me, talk to me. He said, well, he began to explain it to me. Singapore to me was a, a gateway to the nations. And I, tr I travel, praise the Lord. I travel <laughs> internationally. And, um, and polio, praise God in Australia, you probably don't know anyone who's had polio, but it was a terrible disease that would affect your ability to walk. And, I, you know, I have traveled and seen those that have had polio and they're, they're terribly crippled. Their limbs are all um, withered away. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, you know that, unforgiveness you have toward that person. He said, I need to deal with that. I'm your father. I'm the heavenly doctor. I want to bring healing to that wound because if I don't, it's going to impact your ability to run through the nations. And I just went, oh, yes, God. And I had the most beautiful time with the Lord. He just came and he, he helped me just release forgiveness and just cleaned out the wound. And so it wasn't there anymore. I was healed, hallelujah, in my heart as I talked to him and I processed the, the bitterness that I'd allowed to start to fester in my heart. And, you know, 
The Holy Spirit loves us too much to leave us in places of compromise because he knows that every place that there is compromise is an area that's, that's like disease that, that just steals from our joy and our fruitfulness. So I believe the Holy Spirit's helping us recognize the value of obedience and the, the value of surrender. I tell a story um, when I was just a young mom and uh, my kids had um, spent the night at my mother-in-law's and I was just going to pick them up in the car and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to go and pray for this particular lady. And I thought to myself, oh, okay, well, maybe I can do that later. And I kept driving and I heard the Holy Spirit rebuke me and he said, whatever you put above doing what I ask you to do is idolatry. I went, oh, hang on, that's a bit heavy. You know, I'm just going to get the kids. Seriously. So I turned around and went home and put some worship on. It took me about two songs to get my attitude sorted out. And as soon as I um, started to worship, I heard the Lord say, okay, now I want you to go and pray for this lady. So I I picked up the phone and I called her and she wasn't there. So I, I got in my car and I went round to her house and she wasn't there. And I saw the neighbor in the front yard and I said, um, do you know where such and such is? And she said, oh, the ambulance just came and took her to the hospital. So I went straight to the emergency room, walked in, something I couldn't have done if I'd had two little toddlers with me. And... Um, And I walked in and she burst into tears and said, I was praying someone would come. And I realized, you know, the Holy Spirit was wanting me to be able to be fruitful just by letting me hear his voice. But so often we say, oh, it's just not convenient. Like the bride in the Song of Songs. But when we learn that he is worthy of surrender, he's worthy, he knows how to organize our life. It was no problem for the kids to stay a little longer with my mother-in-law and, and God had sorted my day out for me. But he's smarter than we are, amen? I like this though, in, in chapter four, verse five, she says this, this is the bride. She says, I've made up my mind Until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come, in spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you. I will climb with you in the mountain of suffering love and the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. And she counts the cost. She says, yes, you are worthy and worth paying the price. You are worthy laying my life down for. You are worthy. And she says, yes. And then the response of the bridegroom, I just love it. In verse 8, he says, Now you are ready to come with me as we climb the highest mountaintops. In our covenant love, we will look down from the crest of the glistening peaks and from the summit of our majestic sanctuary, we will wage war together in the lion's den and the leopard's lair. For you have ravished my heart. You have inflamed me. I'm my beloved one, my equal, my bride. I'm undone by your love. Merely a glance from your worshipping eyes and you've stolen my heart. It just gets more and more intense. It's like, and and I don't think we have any real comprehension of the richness of His love for us. 
Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, enlightening the eyes of our understanding so that we may know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glorious inheritance in us, the saints, and the greatness of the power toward us who believe. In other words, he was praying for supernatural power, the Spirit of God to give us power to comprehend the treasure that he has in us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, how much he loves us. He prays in Ephesians 3 that we would know and comprehend together with all the saints, Christ dwelling in our heart through faith, that we may be rooted and grounded in this great love that passes knowledge, that we'd know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, so that we could comprehend this love. You see, this love is far greater, far more intoxicating, far more glorious than we can handle. It's so intense. You start to ring the song, read the Song of Songs and you go, oh. And yet he's there going, no, I want to give you more. I want to tell you how I feel about you. And, and the bride could say, and, and we read it here clearly. He speaks this to her before she has surrendered everything, knowing she's again going to say, oh, I'm not, I can't be bothered. He still speaks to her and says, one glance of your worshipping eyes and my heart has been undone. He still looks at us. Every time we come, he, we come to him, he looks at us and he loves us with love that hasn't been earned, love that doesn't wax and wane, Love that doesn't grow cold. Love that's so intense that it doesn't feel fair. 